welcome to episode 22 of your favorite video game podcast. Oh God, it hurts. Oh God, it hurts. Yay. Thanks for coming back. Woo. All right. So here with me is a six button samurai. JJJ, how are you doing? I am well, sir. Um, and I hear you are on the mend. Why don't you tell everybody about the status of your golden left thumb? Okay. <laughs> so my name is Game Agent E.T. Uh, yeah. Um, I do have some good news. Uh, uh, since we last talked on our last uh, episode, uh, I was waiting for results on my thumb. And I finally got it uh, fairly recently. And, well, uh, the cancer did not spread. It was a malignant tumor. However, they caught it very early. So when they looked at the lab results, they saw that the tumor was very shallow, didn't go very deep. And it was good that they removed it. Um, So that's great. Uh, I will... I am cancer-free now. Um, yes. And I'm really happy, definitely. Um, however, uh, I do have to endure one more surgery now, and that's to get a skin graft from my left wrist. They're going to cut some skin from that area and place it uh, over my left thumb. And that surgery will happen in about six days from now. So I got to brace myself for that. And I would rather have this surgery than the other surgery that I would have had if the cancer spread and that would be amputation. But thankfully, I avoided that. So I'm very grateful for my doctors and the the Cancer Institute in Osaka. They did Damn a great skippy. job. Yeah. I so, uh, was talking yeah. to our mutual friend, Guillermo. Mm-hmm. earlier today and i gave him a little update about your condition and then yeah. he was curious about where they were going to take the skin from for your skin graft oh and i yeah. said perhaps his ass but no <laughs> it's your wrist <laughs> you know that <laughs> um well if they took it from my butt it'd be kind of a fatty tissue right <laughs> i'd have a That's pretty so beefy soft. Beep, so beefy, uh, thumb. Yeah. <laughs> so supple. Uh-huh. Be like a newborn so nice rappy. The... Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like rubbing my cheek on my thumb all the time if that was the case. But Wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. But yeah. no, it was either uh, the wrist or uh, under my where uh, under my arm, kind of near my armpit. That's what they said the possible two locations would have been. Interesting. Yeah. What do and you know what sort of underlying logic there is with that? Is there like regions of skin on your body that are similar to others or something in that you realm? Know, yeah, that's what I would like to know. I would think that you can't just get skin from anywhere. It's gotta be something that kinda looks or has the same consistency as the area that you're trying to graft. Um, I have a, a mutual friend that uh, uh, he's the 
the head of our uh, fantasy football league. And he was telling me about his story when uh, he needed skin grafts. And well, he had some sort of kind of like me, he had some sort of tumor, I believe, but it was on his legs. So, yeah, they got his skin from all places, like, from different places of his body that were not similar to where I could get my skin graft. So I'm guessing, yeah, it just depends on what area you're getting grafted. But, yeah, it it is interesting that I, I mean, as much as, uh, I mean, looking at my thumb like a... Recently, I've been able to see what my thumb looks like without the bandages or any sort of thing. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't look pleasant, but at the same time, it looks intriguing because it's kind of like, oh, you know, like a little bit of curiosity. Like, wow, this is kind of sort of cool. I kind of wonder like how they're going to do it or how things came this way. And just that, I don't know. That's how I've always been wired i've always wanted to know what how things work or how things go and this is another part of it yeah just we'll see what happens it's kind of like a interesting day-to-day week-to-week process that it's like uh every week is new i guess (laughs) Mm -hmm. so james what's going on with you man not a heck of a lot at this moment um, keeping myself amused with some retro stuff here and there. I've got a really stupid backlog of Nintendo Switch and PS4 games that I have not spent enough time with. Um, I also picked up a sealed copy of Near Automata, the Game of the Year version for PS4. So. Nice. I want to spend some time with that because I've heard from many people that it's a fantastic game, but oh, the backlog. So yeah. many things to play, so little time. Adulthood sucks. It does. <laughs> it really does. I mean, literally, if I had no job, I I would be playing video games 24-7, I would imagine, because there's a lot of good games out there just not enough time mm-hmm. yeah so would near be the next game you would play or are you considering playing another game like if you can i don't know choose. i'm torn between that or um i might spend time with either i got the switch version of trials of mana last christmas yeah and i realized that i hadn't even opened that one yet oh wow. um same with um actually come to think of it i got that one for christmas of 2020 (laughs) which is terrible (laughs) so there's that and then there's also the xenoblade chronicles definitive edition that i haven't spent time with yet but that one looks interesting to me as well especially since the third one seems to be drawing rave reviews so I might start yeah. down that road since, you know, a JRPG is always a good thing to sort of get some grind time in, especially like in the evening. It's almost like 
you know, that's like the bedtime story genre of gaming because, you know, you can just exactly. enjoy them, you can grind your battles, and you can not stress out about anything too terribly much, unlike like a really intense action game or a fighting game or something. So and uh, perhaps that'll be what's next. It, it's also possible to doze off while playing. <laughs> oh yeah. I've seen I've seen you do that a couple of times when we lived together. It was funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doze off when you're playing a game at night. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it is kind of like a book. I mean, yeah, you might die or sometimes uh some of these games are built where it's like, you know, if it's turn based, it'll just mm-hmm. sit there. It's, yep. it's quite convenient. Yeah, totally. it's like a little bookmark that's automatic when you're when you doze off. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, real I, chill. You... I think that's why this became such a huge thing in Japan where, you know, you've got lots of overworked salary men who will yeah. then just go home and climb into their small apartments and throw down a little dragon quest before getting five hours of sleep and repeating the next day. Yeah. I think that's what keeps us going. <laughs> Media like this, this is the modern day storybook. Like you said, Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, let's, Toad our mugs out to the water cooler. Yup. All right. So this big news item hit just recently where Sony, uh, they were apologetic, but they said they had to raise their prices of the Sony PlayStation 5 in many big markets, not the U.S., Oddly enough, but in markets like uh, most, I believe all of Asia, if not most, and parts of Europe and South America, I think, uh, mm-hmm. quite a few places, and Canada as well, I believe. But yet, Microsoft and Nintendo did not raise their prices on their <laughs> systems. Hmm. So, James. Yeah, it's yeah, funny. What this is almost the flip side of. There was a famous moment when the original PlayStation launched and Sony and Sega were playing footsie with their respective announcements that year. And I think hours before at a press conference, Sega had said that, you know, surprise, they were releasing the system sooner and it was just going to have a handful of titles and it was going to hit at $399 US with Virtua Fighter as a pack-in. And Sony scheduled their press conference. Literally one guy from the company walked up to the podium and just went $299 and then walked away. (laughs) (laughs) And I think functionally, (laughs) that's what Microsoft and Nintendo have done to Sony over this specific announcement because it's a very strange time. And, you know, a lot of people are feeling a pinch from things and, you know, on the whole, like, uh, despite, uh, the sheer number of purchases I may make in this realm, um, Video game income is 
pretty disposable and generally the thing that a lot of people are probably going to back off on if cash becomes an issue. Um, this is a sort of stranger environment for this because you still can't get PS5s easily anyway. Like, they're still extraordinarily difficult to find. So... I think even if that price increase were happening here in the U.S., it would be really interesting to see if that actually resulted in more units actually sitting on the shelf for any length of time. So I don't know how this affects things. I mean, it's a strange move. I can't, I can't ever recall a console manufacturer actually raising the price on a system of theirs like yeah you know this is now nearly two years after the launch of the ps5 so it's weird (laughs) it really is And and i'm sure microsoft and nintendo are happy that they've made this announcement because you know if anything this might be the the little nudge that pushes somebody into picking up uh, an xbox or a switch instead most definitely um basically uh we kind of talked about this uh a little bit uh on nintendo's side uh on the adult gamer which uh you can check out on their podcast on anchor.fm slash the dash adult dash gamer Check it out. It's a good podcast with our buddy Hoptimus and Fenir. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, uh, when we talked about that, uh, we were talking about how Nintendo could afford to do that because they get their sales, their profits mostly from software, not really from hardware. Mm-hmm. And also, they've got technology that's fairly readily available i mean it's old uh uh parts it's an old chipset yeah from mobile and microsoft and sony have long played the game where essentially they take a hit on every piece of hardware that comes out because they're trying to cram in a hell of a lot more kit at that you know three or five hundred dollar price point than the other guy yeah. So I don't know, like to me, and we're going to wind up talking about this later, like the, the situation with regard to software, I think is actually much more of a strange, like thing that seems destined to sort of catch up with all the hardware manufacturers at this point. Again, even though actually finding a PS five remains really, really difficult. Like you might have to ask yourself, like, are people stoked about getting a PS5 because they're enormous PlayStation people already and they're going to enjoy the benefits of playing PS4 titles on that hardware, you know, with the added hardware boost and the faster loading and all of that? Like, is the PS5 library itself actually that much of a motivating reason to go out and get one? So basically, if they're in the PlayStation camp, 
would they still buy it? Like, I think those people have a lot more reason to, but I think like if you didn't already have a horse in the race or like Mm -hmm. an existing library that you were servicing, like, you know, you're a big Xbox user and you've got a bunch of purchases in that ecosystem or vice versa with PSN, like, is there that much motivation for somebody who doesn't own any console right now? Just be like, yes, I want a PS five. I don't know that there is. Yeah. Especially when there's not many, uh, exclusives nowadays that could change over time because of certain acquisitions that happened recently. But right in the meantime, it seems like unless you like a very, specific few games that are only on one system then yeah if you had to choose between three systems it'll be based on lifestyle mostly or just how many games you can play and especially with your friends especially uh if titles are crossplay or not yeah so there's a lot I guess, I don't know how to explain it, but there's not much in terms of, like, uh, if you're going to get one system, most likely likely you're going to cover most bases mm-hmm. when it comes to, like, what you want and if you're going to be able to play with your friends, things like that. So right. nowadays, even though a lot of people still say, yeah, I mean, many gamers out there own at least two systems, uh, with inflation and things like that, yeah, you kind of have to. You you do wonder if people are really going to buy two systems nowadays because of sure. what's going on. So, but yeah, I think uh, definitely in Japan, I uh, I saw that there was a five thousand five hundred yen rise for both the the disc drive version and the digital version mm-hmm. and as you said uh it's it, it's been hard to find a playstation 5 still like they still have those uh things where it's kind of like a raffle drawing where you sign up and you can apply online and then they'll choose people that are able to buy a playstation 5 and that was happening until recently. I think now it's like uh, they still have the raffles to decide who gets to buy one, but it seems like there's more and more in stock nowadays, and it's not nearly as big of a problem as it was last year. But you got to wonder, like you said, are these going to end up being on the shelf a lot more that just sit there and do can't can't be sold? Because I mean. 60,000 yen for PlayStation 5. That's how much it costs here. I don't know how much it costs in the US, but that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. still holding at 499.99 retail here, but Yeah. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how that all evolves. And I think that's why Sony didn't really cut the price in the US because the yen is incredibly weak right now compared to the dollar Mm -hmm. so i think they can afford that but 
I was surprised Canada, they upped the price. Yeah. I thought Canada, at least the Canadian dollar, would still be a lot stronger than the yen, but I I'm I don't keep track of anything but the dollar to the yen conversion because obviously like if I send money home or whatnot, yeah. Geez, it's like it's been a hundred and thirty yen or over to one dollar, and that's painful. That's super painful. Yikes. Yeah. So it's like my money's no good. <laughs> no good in America. <laughs> All right. That was good. That was good. Good conversation. All right. So next up, we uh we saw Sega make a uh, their final announcement on the Genesis Mini Two. They up uh they finally rele- revealed uh, their full lineup of fifty plus games, I believe, for the Sega Mega Drive Two and Sega Genesis Mini Two. Yep, a lot of titles. Uh, James, are are you? Did you did any of these catch your eye? Because um, you know it's funny, like. I have a really deep love for the Genesis slash Mega Drive hardware period because it's technically the first console that I ever bought essentially right at launch. Um, You know, I had been following magazines like throughout late 1987 summer of 1988 and they first started talking about the sega mega drive and how it was going to come out in japan and of course it didn't wind up coming out here in the u.s until august of 89 and i knew it was coming and i can still remember the day i saw it at toys r us and was just kind of flipping out like watching the demo of altered beast um, you know, and I wound up like, you know, it was a combination of like doing some extra chores, pulling some weeds from my grandma and then, you know, pleading because my birthday was in a couple of months of earshot that I managed to coax my mom into buying me one. Um, so I have a deep love for that hardware. Um, you know, I really enjoy the experience playing it on either real hardware or the Mister right now. Um, but you know, I'm very intrigued at some of these "quote unquote" original games that are coming out for it. I mean, there's some very interesting odds and ends, particularly the um, higher frame rate version of Space Harrier Two and a completely new version of the original space harrier which never existed on that hardware before yeah um so those are really cool things um on the u.s side it's pretty terrible that like none of the working designs rpgs are going to show up (laughs) ireland yeah um they didn't kiss his rings that's why they're not getting it oh no yeah. I mean, that sucks because when you think about it, it's like, okay, so you're just going to take nothing as opposed to something for like a commodity that you don't technically have to do anything to. 
Yeah. Like it's literally just handing over the old files and being like, here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's really sad. I mean, this is for the gamers. I mean, Sega, uh, the Japanese site, um, there have been translations online through, uh, uh, a person named GSK. Uh, he's been translating a lot of the, uh, blogs from, uh, Sega and uh, interviews as well. And they were saying when they do stuff like this for the Mega Drive Mini 1 and 2, what they did was for certain cases, there are a lot of like either licenses that are really, really hard to kind of ask for them again, but they do right. it anyway. Or mm-hmm. in this case, uh, for Captain Tsubasa, the, it's a soccer game. Uh, from a, mm-hmm. it's a soccer game that's based on an anime. There yeah. were uh, thirty plus uh, voice actors that participated oh, wow. in this game. I believe it was on Sega CD, and they went and they talked to each and every one of those voice actors and said, "Hey, can we do this?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." I mean, if the gamers want it, definitely, and. Yeah, I mean, people were overjoyed in Japan to see those games and the Lunar games and Popful Mail. Yet, when it came to Victor Ireland and they asked him, it was like, like I said, they didn't kiss his rings, man. It's disgusting. It's it's pretty, it's pretty disappointing. Um, I don't know, like... Again, like I'm just stoked that there are lots of other people that have a keen interest in that hardware and they're they're exciting about collecting it or picking it up. Um, you know, it's not my, you know, playing on any of the mini consoles is not like my preferred way to play these things now, but by the same token, like, you know, there will probably be roms of those new games floating around well yeah well that's one thing (laughs) yeah and another thing is hey if victor ireland doesn't want to play ball hey guess what there's going to be other people that are going to be uploading the lunar and uh purple male roms to the mini too anyways so yeah and i mean it's it's kind of an interesting conundrum too because i think there's a lot of people that they went out and bought the first genesis slash mega drive mini and now they've got a bit of a choice to make because you know that last mini console got hacked pretty wide open like there were already people that had added like 32x games or even sega cd games to their existing console Mm -hmm. um it is interesting though the us one will actually come with the six button controller which the original did not um, although I think they, they did sell those separately. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but, you know, more, more, me- more mega drive Genesis is always a good thing. So, you know, I'm happy about that. Yeah. And anyways, I think, uh, not too many people mess around with that kind of stuff. They just want to buy what's in the box and right. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, more than enough people are kind of afraid of messing with their stuff anyways, because Mm -hmm. 
anytime you try to hack something and something goes wrong and it breaks your system, what are you going to do then? So it's right. kind of like, yeah, if you're a little bit savvy, I'm sure it's not going to be too difficult to put additional stuff on your Mega Drive Mini 2. But, you know, a lot of people just want the novelty of it all. They want a smaller console that plays games that they used to play. And I think that's great. Just give give us more of that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt. Definitely does not hurt. And right. with these uh, titles that haven't been out for a while, I mean, Sega does give a payment of sorts to each and every company and people that participated, I believe, just to compensate for using it again. I think that's great. I mean, at least the money goes towards those people again. And that's always a good thing. (laughs) All right. So, uh, next, uh, uh, is, um, I guess the next topic would be about DeNuvo, which a lot of people, when they hear that name, especially in the PC, uh, gaming sphere, they kind of shiver and uh, because that's the company that puts a uh, anti-piracy software in their software. Uh, well, they offer it to software companies. Well, there's been talk, uh, actually a statement they made at the Gamescom uh, convention, I believe. Is it in Europe? I'm, I'm not sure, but that is. Yeah. Europe. Yeah, they made a yeah, they made a announcement saying that yeah, we're going to have our software available for uh Nintendo Switch. And they said companies actually demanded it. Hmm. Oh, I don't know about that, but James, what do you think? <laughs> well, one of my favorite YouTubers is a guy that goes by the handle Modern Vintage Gamer. And he is a developer who has developed... He's done work on a number of fairly recent retro releases for modern consoles. Like, he worked on the really excellent um, port of Quake. Um, He also worked on the port of Shantae for the Switch. Um, It's one of the Game Boy titles, I believe. Um, and he was just like, oh, great. The most hated piece of PC DRM is now headed to switch. So I would say his opinion to me is probably somewhat more valuable in that realm as somebody who really understands how those things sort of can layer over an existing game and create issues. Um, I don't yeah. know. Like it just, it strikes me as such an odd, it's an odd piece of news to get out there because like, you know, the Nintendo switch is some pretty mature hardware at this point. I mean, it's been out more than five years. Um, I have a hard time seeing where this clamor for Denuvo's product came from, you know, unless, you know, uh, you sort of mentioned this earlier when we talked about it a little bit before recording that, like, 
there had to have been some sort of data that Nintendo saw that said, hey, you're losing this much because of, you know, people hacking a Switch and porting RetroArch to it or something along those lines. But, like, I have a hard time seeing that scene actually being big enough to warrant this sort of thing or, you know, actually cutting into sales that might have otherwise been generated. Like it's pretty weird. So it is. I I think (laughs) so too. I mean, because quite frankly, the ease of hacking the switch is not as easy as what we talked about just right now with the mega drive mini or the Sega Genesis mini. Right. A lot of people hacked it because all you needed was what an SD card or mini SD card, SD card mini, it's, whatever micro. Yeah, it's not even an SD card really. It's more like you like I hacked I had the Super Famicom mini for a while and mm-hmm. I hacked that one. Yeah. And it's there were, you know, there was a blizzard of YouTube tutorials for doing it for the Super Famicom slash Super NES Mini and the NES Famicom Mini. Yeah. And basically, it's like, you know, since both of those and the other minis draw power from a mini USB cable, mm-hmm. you basically download this existing piece of software. Um, I think the one that Mike used for his uh, Genesis Mini was called Hack Chi. Basically, you hook it up, um, it can read the contents of the memory sitting in your mini system, and then you can play around with that library. Like, you can either delete the library it's in there, and then just add, like, a whole other cache of games, or just add to that existing one. Like, you know, and it was a relatively cut-and-dry, fairly simple process. Um, and yeah, hacking a Nintendo switch as best I know actually required, you know, somewhat more of a complex thing to, to pull it off. Not that I've ever actually tried it because I like my Nintendo switch. I like the library for it. Like I don't really have any real motivation to do that personally. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's again, it just it strikes me as really, really strange because you know that's a mature piece of hardware. It's been out a long time. They've already sold a bazillion games for it, and yeah, you know realistically, it's probably got what maybe another year and a half, two years on store shelves, most likely, you know it, if it's if you know history's any guide. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they did say last year, I believe, or early this year that it's at its halfway point. Yeah. And even that is kind of generous because five years, <laughs> I mean, if that's the halfway point, then I don't know if it's going to last 10 years. I'd really doubt it. I think people want a new system by then, like even after another two yeah, years. I, mean, I think the the hardware makers always talk in those terms but like 
I think I remember Sony also saying something fairly grandiose like that about one of the PlayStation systems or just like, this is the decade of whatever hardware that was, you know, yeah. but you know, retail cycles tend to move faster than, than that. And so I definitely don't see the switch continuing to devour that much shelf space for another five years. Um, especially yeah. just given the fact that like porting games for other systems is just becoming increasingly difficult because now you've got hardware that really, really surpasses what the switch is capable of. And you're going to see even fewer ports of those games. If they you know, added that in the, in the mold of, right. I mean like in the mold of something like doom or doom eternal, you know, which most people say like, you know, those are incredible feats of getting those games to actually run on the switch in a playable manner. Of course, there's a ton of compromises involved, but um, yeah, weird, weird story. Like just a very odd thing to have DRM potentially rear its head on the switch at this point in its lifespan. And that's an interesting thing you brought up with the whole like, yeah, it's already five years old. Why would you want mm-hmm. DRM now? Right. Which it would. Yeah, I I think uh, Denuvo is kind of acting like uh, how you go, like if you go to an electronic store and after you buy like a like an appliance or a new TV, the salesman's all like, hey, uh, you want to buy a two year guarantee on that? You know, add on to it. Right. Like you're a. Purchase a little bit better. They're kind of selling that to companies to, well, because they're a software company, they want you to buy their software, making you think that you have a need for it. But in reality, <laughs> I don't think so, man. Yeah. I mean, very strange. I, I, I think it's like maybe 0.05 people out there that have a switch are actually actively hacking it either for piracy or for other reasons. To know the number because I like those two things are just not they're like if you had like a Venn diagram of people that hack consoles and people that are big Nintendo Switch users I can't really see there being that much overlap myself I could be wrong but uh, I could be wrong too but I mean, we're both big gamers, and I don't know yeah. anyone who hacks, and I know a lot of gamers. Right? Do you know anyone that hacks a Switch? I've never known anybody to hack a Nintendo Switch myself personally, and I feel like I would have. But like, I don't know. It's interesting to me because I always think about like the reasons that I would hack a console way back when, and typically it had a lot more to do with trying to open up like a U.S. console to play import versions of things. Like that was always like my biggest trip personally, you know, more so than just outright piracy. Um, Yeah, that that's true. I mean, (laughs) I knew people who hacked the 3DS just to play uh, games that were not in the same region as their system. Right more than piracy itself. I mean, yeah. there were a few that did that, but mm-hmm. I think that's a different story too, because 3DS, yeah. um, uh, well, 
Yeah. I think there was more reason to do that for 3DS, mainly because of the region. But there were some people that did it for the games. But oddly enough, for Switch, I don't think many people care that much to hack it just to get new games for it. And not only that, from what I've heard, Nintendo's own DRM. uh, I think they have DRM. If not, I mean, they have some sort of anti-piracy software or something on that on their system i i would assume it seems to be well, working I mean, typically it's well. just a function like you have the physical card itself which is its own sort of verification mechanism but then there's also you know your user profile and the fact that all of your digital purchases are attached to that profile and you know if you're logged out or something of that effect then you wouldn't be able to access those games i don't know I mean, it's, again, just a puzzling thing to me. Yeah. But, Denuvo, well, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I mean, the first game that has their DRM, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to try to see <laughs> if they're doing as they claim, which they have claimed in uh, P- uh, PC software as well. Oh, it doesn't take any of your resources or it's not malware blah 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 and and it ends up being that way we'll see we'll see give hackers more of a reason to you know (laughs) prove you wrong all right we're gonna take a little break you're gonna hear from another show that's on the ruminations radio network a network that we're part of if you like uh what you're hearing from this show please check it out and many other good shows on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Hey, kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. All right, and we're back. So, yeah. Um, should we talk about the fall season, this fall season right now? We uh, could. Yeah. How there's not as much as uh, uh, games to play as normal. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, all I know is that, what, we have Splatoon 3 on in September. I'm really mm-hmm. waiting on that one. For sure. Uh, there's Bayonetta 3, which is coming out near Halloween. And God of War, a new God of War game for PlayStation 5 user- users. But other than that, any other games do you think, James? <laughs> do you know of? You know, I'm probably one of the worst people in the world to ask this question because... Mm. While I own an Xbox Series X, the last thing, the new game that I've played on it is Elden Ring, which I still need to spend uh-huh, more time with. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it's very strange when you've got a holiday season approaching and, like, you know, Splatoon has done very, very well for Nintendo, and it's a very promising, like, fresh franchise from them. Um, 
but I don't know that it has the same sort of marquee value that a brand new Mario or Zelda or Metroid game would have along those lines. Um, I understand that. Yeah. Like, you know, that's not to take anything away from the game itself. Um, It's just, you know, thinking in terms of like brand awareness and, you know, the kind of thing that a lot of people sort of set their watch for as far as a release date, like even with Splatoon three and Bayonetta three in tow, it's kind of an oddly light lineup for them overall. Um, yeah. And uh, not to strictly dump on Nintendo here, because I think the other players in the hardware arena are looking largely at the same thing. And again, like this is all like uh, we knew when the pandemic hit and there were a lot of shutdowns and, you know, studios going dark, like it wouldn't be felt immediately because you had a variety of projects that were already very much underway that would continue to sort of roll out. But now I think we're really beginning to feel that pinch of, you know, development being severely curtailed at one point and, you know, mothballed for months on end. So, yeah, this is like the, the other shoe dropping from all of that. Yeah, I agree with that. That and the uh, acquisitions. Um, once those acquisitions were made, I'm sure there were also adjustments that needed to be made to kind of brace for their new right. type of situation. And I know if Optimus were with us right now, he'd be screaming about the new Call of Duty game, and I'm sure that's I'm sure that's a very big deal to a lot of gamers everywhere, but. Um, but on the same token, I mean, now that it's going to be what every two years instead of every year, right. I'll be able to spend a lot more time to really improve on a lot of things that matters, especially gameplay and especially things that add to the content instead of just putting a pretty thin coat of paint on what's already there and some people thinking, oh, I don't know if that's enough. Yeah, I mean, I know that Activision had like multiple teams working on those games, so it wasn't as if like you had one team like literally belting out a new title year after year. Like, good. Point. That would absolutely be insane and completely unfeasible. Um, yeah, yeah, Call of Duty uh, fans are lucky because Infinity Ward and uh, Treyarch are the two teams that work on those games, and they kind of shift between those two every release, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of uh, spending just two years on a game, they can spend up to four years. Is that does that sound? I don't right? know exactly how it works. Yeah, um, but what? you know, it is. I don't know. It's a very strange time. Yeah. In the in the business, like between, you know, these strange price increases and then a sudden like kind of vacuum of things coming out. Like it's yeah. it's odd. And uh, you know, I think they all were sort of buoyed by, you know, a lot of captive human beings that suddenly had a lot of time on their hands to play video games and now that 
you know, we're inching closer towards normalcy in most, you know, in a lot of places. Um, yeah. You know, now for a lot of people, like they don't want to necessarily just sit and burn a ton of time sitting in front of their consoles now. So yeah, because it'd be most interesting people have... to see how all of that shakes out because yeah, I think the one thing the video game industry is not great at is, you know, addressing shortfalls as far as sales and, you know, not meeting expectations. You know, if there was ever a business that just seemed sort of built on the idea of like ever exploding profits and never being, you know, there never being a downturn, video game industry is definitely guilty of that as are many others so we'll see how that all ultimately winds up yeah it's a tough time as you mentioned like a lot of people are busier now because as you can probably imagine after the uh after covid started running its course we were stuck at home some people lost their jobs things like that and now people have new jobs and they're kind of back to business as usual, maybe even more so because their new jobs are trying to adjust to new things. And that takes more time, more mental mm-hmm. resources, and they need to, yeah, put more time on the clock to, to uh, get things going. So that could be one factor is to, you know, just... I don't know that things like uh, just in general, I think this slow, this slow uh, fall, I guess. I just hope it doesn't extend to next year as well, but I have a feeling it could. Yeah. Because I mean, if it reflects what we're going through right now with COVID and what it took, it's been taking over two years to kind of, like you said, get to a normal, get to back to normal. That could reflect on game development as well. So I'm afraid to say that, but yeah, it may look like next year will be more of the same. And just in general, like, uh, who knows what's going to happen uh, as a result? Like, it'd be interesting to see, especially uh, sales with like uh, PlayStation Five. I mean, is it going to get to the point where Sony actually loses this platform race? I think uh, you mentioned before, right? Like, oh, Sony. <laughs> has been riding high for the past couple of system wars, right? But yeah. is this is this the time where they kind of topple and fall because of a mixture of business decisions as well as an unprecedented uh, obstacle, which was COVID, that kind of threw their cart off track? Well, I think it's still a truism that... No hardware manufacturer ever wins two generations in a row. Yeah. Um, you could argue that somewhat 
with Sony and the PlayStation because PlayStation got them off to an incredibly auspicious debut as a hardware manufacturer and PS2 was one of the best selling systems of all time. So that does somewhat break that model. Um, Globally, if you compare um, Famicom, Super Famicom, NES, and Super NES, that's a muddled picture because while those two generations of hardware definitely dominated in Japan, elsewhere it was a little bit different, um, particularly given what Sega managed to pull off in the U.S. with the Genesis. Um, That said... With PS3, Sony definitely fell off. Um, 360 definitely won that round as far as between 360 and PS3, but the Wii managed to sell a fuck ton of machines in that time. (laughs) That, yeah. And then they absolutely ate shit with the Wii U. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I think it's really, really difficult to win two in a row and you know microsoft early on seemed to sort of take the lessons of the x-bone era you know in a fairly public way like they were just you know phil spencer talked a lot about like yeah like we shouldn't have run away from backwards compatibility and, you know, the entire emphasis of, you know, the launch situation for Xbox one, as far as connect being in the box and requiring a constant online connection. Um, the strangeness with game sharing, you know, again, that was another sort of tart response thing where, Xbox had this very convoluted system of digital sharing that you could like name one other friend and pull it off that way. And then Sony famously skewered them by having two guys share a disc and one of them handed it to the other one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, (laughs) these things tend to turn on like really bizarre moments. And I think right now, like, I just, I don't see there being like any clear winner at this moment, you know, other than Nintendo riding very high with Switch sales overall, you know, it's also strange because again, like the Wii was in that generation, the Switch is also like the least powerful set of hardware going, Um, which, you know, there are people that are very focused on technology and like what these new systems can do graphically and whatnot. And like, that's a disappointment to them. Um, I probably fall into the camp where just, I have a very, I've had some really great experiences with the Nintendo switch and it's probably my favorite piece of hardware to drop in a few generations just because of the library for it. Um, but that said, like the PS4 also did exceedingly well and continues to sell well. I mean, 
used PS4s still go for a really pretty penny. And that has to do with the scarcity of PS5. And it has to do with the strength of the PS4 library. So I have no idea how this hardware generation is going to shake out. Um, but, you know, hopefully we can get to a place where there's a lot more, like, genuinely new things being made for PS5 and, you know, the Xbox Series consoles, because right now it just feels like you're getting a lot of retreads, you're getting a lot of remakes. I mean, one of the most talked about PS5 products is the re-remake of The Last of Us. <laughs> um, yeah, which was is that weird. necessary? <laughs> Uh, not in my opinion, but, you know, I'm sure there's going to be sales of that title that will, you know, probably prove me wrong. So, I don't know, like, very strange time in the business. I think, you know, if, I would say right now it's Nintendo's to lose. Like, if they come out with a really smart update for the Switch that manages to pack in a lot more juice that can come close to being able to host decent ports of what exists right now on the other consoles. Certainly it's not going to be a one-to-one thing. Cause like you just can't pack that much hardware into a portable form factor right now. I mean, that's why yeah. the switch, that's why the, uh, the steam deck is what it is. Like steam deck is basically like, a fairly juicy PS4 or Xbox one in a portable form factor. Um, but you can only jam so much hardware into a portable form like that because it gets really hot. You know what I mean? So it'll be very interesting to see what Nintendo does. And I think that's going to have much more of an effect on what the other two do than anything else. Just a quick thing to add I about Nintendo. I just hope that if they do make, well, when they do make a successor to Switch, don't try to overthink things and just go with what worked last time. Yeah. Because I think in recent times, especially with the Wii U, they tried to add all these things that were more novelty than anything. And you right. can say the same thing about the 3D, uh, 3DS and the stereoscopic 3D, which mm-hmm. was cool to see, but did we really need that to push system sales when more people were concerned about the library of games and the uh, the ability to play games, uh, titles that they want without much compromise? I think right. that was the main issues that especially for the Wii U kind of kept their sales at bay. The 3DS still did pretty well, but it wasn't because of the stereoscopic 3D. That's for sure. Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hopefully Nintendo makes the correct choice and tries not to, you know, out genius themselves. Microsoft, I hope they'll continue what they've been doing. They've been doing great so far especially in recent times and Sony, huh? <laughs> Got to worry about them, but let's just hope that they kind of get back on track. Cause competition is always good. 
it's what drives the other companies to do their best. And yeah, they may fall in sales uh, the next system race, but that's what drives them to get better. Because the moment you get complacent, that's when you really lose. That's when you stop trying. All right. So, James, let's uh, get to now playing. Uh, sir, what are you playing these days? Well, uh, this will shock everybody that listens to this show, but I continue to play lots of retro titles. No way. Um, <laughs> get out of town. Wait, wait. I thought you played the latest and the greatest, and that's it. Only you the li- latest you and the greatest. Me. Yes. <laughs> I only play, you know, all my games in 4K, 120, you know, you know how I live. No compromise. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, Weirdly enough, like, uh, in playing games on the Mr., like, I tend to get sucked into, like, one console subset of games at a time. And for a while, especially after we recorded the Shmup special, um, I was playing a lot of Genesis shooters, um, a lot of Musha, a lot of Thunder Force Three, a lot of Slap Fight MD, um, which is still one of the best names for a game that I've ever heard. <laughs> um, Slap Fight, Slap Fight. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if the premise of the game was actually that you were a doctor to people who slap fight. I just I, I I want that to be a thing, but at any rate, um, I've actually been playing more NES games as of late than anything else. Um, there's an old compile shooter called Gunnack that I've been enjoying a lot. It's very similar to the Aleste series. Um, it moves really really fast, and you know, to me, like it's almost even more exciting and weird to see a really fast fluid shoot them up on the NES because like, I know we talked about the port of life force before, but like compile just manages to push so much Sprite muscle out of the NES that it almost seems like a trick or, you know, they deployed some other means of getting that to happen. So been playing Gunnack. Um, I've been playing what is definitely one of my top five versions of Tetris, and that is the unlicensed Tangan Tetris, which was a port of the Atari coin op and still remains like one of my very favorite versions of that game. Um, I love the solid pieces. I love the little Russian dancers that pop out of the window in the middle of the screen. Like, it's just my jam. So I'm playing that. And I've also been playing um, what is now a hideously expensive game, uh, Little Samson, um, which is also like a really, really, really fun and super well-made platformer. So I could see what, like, I would never pay over $1,000 for a game like that. But, like, at least it's a good game. And that's one thing you definitely can't uniformly say about a lot of expensive games. Like a lot of times games are just expensive because of the 
reality surrounding their production or maybe they hit at like a later time in the system's life and i know little samson is definitely a later nes title but it also happens to be from taito and it also happens to be a really good title so nice that's what i've been playing lately what about you good sir um before i start uh did Compile make Summer Carnival for NES, uh, Famicom? Yep. You're talking about Rekka? Is that what it's called in the U.S.? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's Summer Car- Carnival 92 Rekka, and that's also a blindingly fast NES shoot-em-up. Yeah, that's what I have on my 3DS on Wait, it's the either Virtual Compile Console. or Hudson. Yeah, I don't remember, but yeah. I'm surprised you haven't been playing that game. I tried it and I thought it was really cool, but like it didn't completely suck me in the way Gunnack did. But I'll probably mm. go back to it. All right. Well, I'll have to check out Gunnack someday if I can yeah. play it somehow. But yeah. um, for me, I've been uh, playing a little bit on my uh, Astro City Mini. Nice. I'm trying to. Well, my thumb. Uh, I have I've been recently been able to play games on a joystick again and uh I've been trying to play Golden Axe because that is a game where I really want to beat it without continuing. I want to one credit clear it, but I'm not very good at the game right now so it's going to take some time, but it's fun uh I have the uh big joystick with it too so it makes it more comfortable than playing it on that little unit on the unit uh, the onboard controls for that unit uh that's quite enjoyable um i've been also playing uh more of the uh capcom arcade uh hits that are on the the switch the second one that came out recently uh, oh, arcade stadium Ar- 2 yeah arcade stadium 2 still trying to get my legs back on black tiger but it's gonna take a while especially with my thumb um just say that really... was your shit back in the day yeah it was but with a compromised thumb it's hard to make the jumps and stuff and react as well as uh i could back when i had full control uh even then i don't know if i still got it at my age but i'll keep giving it a try but yeah I'm especially focused on Black Tiger for right now. Um, and finally, uh, my thumb has uh, gotten to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore, but that'll be a different issue when I get the second surgery to get the skin graft. I won't right, be able to use have to my... heal up all over again, right? And not only that, my left wrist will be compromised as well because that's where they're going to take the skin so most likely i won't be able to play any games with my left hand for at least a month so i'm trying to get my kicks right now i downloaded the the splatoon 3 uh, splatfest uh demo i guess it's considered a demo because you can technically play it on the day you have the splatfest which is uh the time we're recording right now it's gonna be tomorrow and it's a good way to test out all of the weapons that will be available in the game 
which is currently 26 weapons. And of course, uh, the Splatfest levels, they're going to be different from Splatoon 2. Uh, it's going to be the new format where you can choose one of three teams instead of the usual one of two teams. So this theme for the Splatfest is which team are you on? Team Rock, Team Paper, or Team Scissors? Mm. And I'm probably going to go with Scissors because I like to cut. (laughs) But yeah, I will try to play that tomorrow. Um, Hopefully I won't. I I don't think I'll I'll experience any pain, like I said, unless I hit my thumb on the top part, which, you know, that's not going to happen when I'm playing on a pad. I think Mm -hmm. I'll be fine. But yeah, that's what I'm going to play tomorrow. But yeah, nice. all I've been playing were just arcade hits as usual because of my my hand. Yeah. Well, all right. it'll be great when you can finally get back to playing normally on a regular yeah. basis. I can't wait. I'll try to make a but, list of games that I want to play immediately after that long hiatus, especially with games that require a D-pad. Mm-hmm. All right. So now it's time for the big question. All right. So today's big question is, hmm, what is the strongest emotional response you've ever experienced from a video game? James, please start. What do you have for us? So (laughs) I have a two-part answer. Um, the first one has to do with being completely new to a genre and having a small bore natural disaster interrupt my gameplay. (laughs) The other part of my answer has to do with two sides of a coin, a very specific coin, and that is pure delight an absolute raging disappointment. So buckle up. Um, the most, the most powerful emotional response that I've ever experienced from a video game had to do. And the thing is like, I know that a lot of gamers, particularly those who came up during the PlayStation era, they always talk about Aerith dying in final fantasy seven. I experienced something very similar, only it had to do with the death of Nay in Fantasy Star 2. Now, the thing about it is that there was a very large nugget of like cutscenes that sort of glommed together around this point in the game. And I was just on one of those absolutely wicked tears that, you know, you're only able to enjoy when you're 16 and have fuck all to do in the summer. Um, However, in like hour six of this stretch of playing Fantasy Star 2, after witnessing Nay's death and the ensuing cutscenes my save got wiped out by a lightning strike near my house in the middle of a Tucson monsoon. So my save reverted to before Nay died. (laughs) 
So the next day I picked up the game and had to experience that all over again. And then thankfully my battery actually worked after being able to save following all of that. And that was a very intense sort of thing that actually mirrored my response when I was even younger to when I watched Robotech and there's a very key character that dies during the midway of that show, particularly the Macross saga. Um, and it was kind of very much along the same lines where it's just like an absolute shock to watch this character that you'd grown so fond of die. Um, so that's the first part of my answer. Second part of my answer has to do with a very familiar realm for both of us. And that is the pure joy at experiencing street fighter alpha two for the first time in Phoenix. Um, the game had just dropped. I had actually owned the CPS two B board for street fighter alpha one. Um, So, like, I was very hyped about it. I'd only seen a few screenshots of the game. And then playing Alpha 2 for the first time and seeing every complaint that I had about the original Alpha, be it the very lean roster or the relatively limited movesets or even kind of the plainness of the backgrounds... Alpha 2 managed to stomp the original in basically every way. Like, it was absolutely everything that you expected from the Street Fighter series at that point, and then some. Like, I was having great matches with some of the locals up there. It was just electric. It was a fantastic experience. Cut to about a year later... The first time I experienced Street Fighter 3 <laughs> in the same arcade. <laughs> now, I know that you can identify with yes, the I can. years <laughs> that we spent waiting for Street Fighter 3. It had become the biggest running joke in gaming that Capcom cannot count to three. It was like Duke Nukem forever for our generation. It, was all of that and then some. And then to finally play it and just be kind of baffled and slightly horrified and just ultimately deep, deep, deep disappointment. The kind of which that I would not know again until like two years later when the Phantom Menace came out. Um, <laughs> but oh, yeah, God. playing Street Fighter 3 and realizing just like how under, how just thoroughly underbaked every aspect of that first iteration of it was is just like it's still like mind-boggling for me to to ponder now. And to think, like, we actually know now that for the longest time, the game didn't even have Ken and Rue in it. That it was just the rest of those characters and functionally Alex as the lead. Like, 
it blows my damn mind that for a while those guys thought that was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a an article from Polygon that explains a lot about Street Fighter 3 and how it started and obviously the reaction. I think it's a good read if you can ever find it on polygon.com. If you take yeah, the no, time to look. Yeah, that's a great article yeah. and I have read it. Yeah. Uh, any of our listeners, if they're interested, do a search on Polygon Street Fighter 3 and read up. It's very interesting to read. Um, yeah, my thoughts exactly on Street Fighter 3. I was so shocked at how... I wouldn't say it was like the bear, uh, bottom of the barrel bad, but after like playing it for a few weeks, I was like, I don't, I, don't, I just don't. <laughs> I'm trying to find reasons to play this game, right. and I couldn't. It I was, was on just, the exact same wavelength, man. I mean, I couldn't even like. I was not personally equipped to handle the truth that Capcom had released a pretty shitty game and yeah. called it Street Fighter Three. Exactly. Like I couldn't do it. And from, I think I, maybe I said it before in the previous episode, but I think the, the person that uh, was in charge of the game, he didn't really play fighting games. And it pretty much showed. <laughs> yeah. Because it didn't really play like Street Fighter. It didn't really feel like Street Fighter. It wasn't fun like Street Fighter. Or Street Fighter 2, I would say. Let's not put it, it with Street I mean, Fighter 1. but <laughs> It bore a passing resemblance to the franchise. But it was just missing so many things. And, like, it was all the more baffling to behold because, like, clearly, like, the hardware itself was actually impressive. Like, the, the level of fluidity in the animation and the sheer number of colors on display, like, it was a powerful piece of 2D hardware, but it was such a thoroughly meager, meager game that wore that title, and it was just, like, my brain just could not compute that. Even more insulting since the fucking marquee just said three. <laughs> that's it. how that's how cocky they were. Uh huh. At least Capcom USA was right, but yeah, it didn't play particularly well. It didn't flow. It didn't feel like there was an actual engine that had things that really warranted uh, mastering. It just right. felt like you're doing moves and. It's not really fun to chain into combos or things like that. It just felt like it was a step down. Well, I mean, and particularly after coming on the heels of Street Fighter Alpha 2. And which, Alpha 3, yeah. Well, Alpha 3 hadn't come out yet. That would drop in 1998. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry about but that. But just in thinking of, like, you know... ST was the gold standard for a long time. Some might say it still is. Um, but then you had is. this low with Street Fighter Alpha where it was like, well, 
they're trying to do this new thing and they've got some sort of interesting new characters in it. But like that game also came out under bake, though not nearly to the same degree that SF3 was. And then Alpha 2 came out and was just better in basically every regard. And then to have this huge step back again, it was just like unbelievable. I think they learned from that because, well, at least in terms of gameplay, they didn't learn that lesson with Street Fighter V, like in terms of what people want out of a game in terms of single player. But (laughs) the gameplay, at least in Street Fighter V and four. Leaps and bounds better. Yep. It felt like a fighting game and it felt like Street Fighter. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember uh, <clears throat> after Street Fighter 3 came out, uh, we were begging the the tech guy at a street, uh, at a sounds place, uh, the University Arcade in the University mm-hmm. of Arizona. We were like, please get Second Impact. Please get sick. <laughs> He's like, are you crazy? Do you know how bad Street Fighter 3 did? <laughs> <laughs> so he. He did get it, though. And actually, that was a much better game. Much, much better game. Yep. So there you go. I, I forget. How long did they take until they brought out Second Impact, the second the follow-up to Street Fighter 3? It actually came out very shortly thereafter. Like, I want to say even, like, I think in the same year. Yeah. It was like an emergency one. Right. Emergency Although it's, it's also further strange because that game is probably, of all the arcade versions of Street Fighter, and there was, a, there was an episode of Retronauts that specifically talked about the SF3 franchise, and they were like, Second Impact may be the single rarest title of all of them. Because it was a fu- it was a an upgrade for a wildly unsuccessful game, and that kit apparently just exists in like crazily small numbers. Yeah, I guess that's why they didn't have it upstate uh, in Phoenix. A lot of people told me that. Oh yeah, we didn't have street fighter uh second impact up there Mm -hmm. but in tucson that was the only place you can play it uh in the university arcade right so we were lucky it was a fun game too (laughs) yep yeah oh man i don't know if i can talk so what was your (laughs) talk about the biggest emotional impact you've experienced from a game um it was most definitely uh ninja gaiden for nes Nice. And there are quite a few things as to why. Number mm-hmm. one, the obvious difficulty of the game. <laughs> yes. Ball busting. Yeah. I mean, we're it, really talking primarily about just like the last couple of stages. Yes, exactly. For the For the most part, like with a lot of practice, you can get through like one, one to four, two or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not completely lose your mind, but the last stretch of that game. Yes. 
stage this six. Is downright evil. <laughs> yeah. So this came out in 1990 and I bought it pretty much that year because I love ninjas and it was just so cool looking. I had to. And I, I remember when I was playing it and I got to stage six and I noticed how much harder that whole stage was compared to other stages. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they they did that sort of thing that some companies do once in a while where it's like once you reach a certain thing what used to be uh, a given was no longer a given in this case yeah. uh, stage six it's spread out into four parts so if you end up dying in any of those parts like six two six three six four instead of mm -hmm. starting at six two or whatever section you were at you start all the way back at six one Ugh. i believe yeah especially when you get to the boss if you can imagine like well six stage six in general you're lucky to get all the way up to the boss because there are so many like cheap deaths you can experience especially mm -hmm. in six one with the jetpack guys throwing shurikens everywhere and there's yeah. only like a certain amount of platforms that you can jump on and not only that ninja gaiden is notorious for having enemies respawn if you scroll in and scroll out like if you scroll forward and then you attack a an enemy but then another thing hits you and you go back and then you go forward again that enemy responds <laughs> so it's super frustrating yep. and once you finally get to what stage six four and you beat you try to get you have to beat not one but two but three bosses mm -hmm. if you die to that boss guess what all the way back to six one baby Oh, I think that's what happened. That's what happened. Uh, if you die to the boss area, mm -hmm. you go all the way back to 6-1 after your death. It doesn't even matter if you have any lives left. Oh, that's right. You just go God. all the way back. So I think I, I'm pretty sure maybe you can continue. Like if you die at 6-2, you can continue at 6-2, I believe. I'm not sure. But I know for sure once you die at the boss all the way back to 6-1, and you got to do all that stuff all over again. So many people <sighs> share my pain. Yeah. And I was a teenager at the time, and I remember getting so frustrated that I didn't play for months. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things that you let it ruminate, you know? <laughs> ruminate. <laughs> the, the feelings, and just kind of like, what do I do with this game? You try to think of uh, strategies you think of like uh just staying away from it for a, for a while because you you get to the point where you just you, if you do it over and over and over again it's just going to make you play worse right so you got to take a break and i take i took months off i think i took like eight or nine months off <laughs> to be honest <laughs> i put that on the shelf for a while and then i remember after getting back on the horse, I 
remember playing for like a few more weeks, finally beating the boss, like all three, and watching that ending, especially uh, with Tecmo. They they were pioneers of the cinematic experience where they had the cin- cinematic <laughs> scenes. Uh, yeah. It was really rare to see that in any game. But no, most NES games did not have cutscenes like that at all, really. Yeah, so that's why it got me so interested. That's why mm-hmm. I love it to this day, too, because yeah. the story is one of the best I've experienced on a Nintendo entertainment system. But mm-hmm. seeing that ending, which is a freaking great ending, so rewarding. I felt so good i felt accomplished i knew this was like the hardest thing i've ever done as a gamer Mm -hmm. at that point in time and i'll never forget it i bet i didn't break my controller though like pac-man 2 screw that game that game sucks (laughs) but (laughs) that was my yeah my biggest up and down (laughs) yeah yeah especially Losing to the boss. That was huge demotivation to play that game, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. <laughs> but yeah. But, yeah. Well, that's, have, a, have you that's played, a great one to share, man. Have you played Ninja Gaiden NES? I have played Ninja Gaiden NES, and I get stuck on level six. Well. I just haven't put in the time yet to memorize that last stretch, and I know that's just... Uh, that's one of those like commitment things where I would need to just push everything else to the side and just focus on that thing. But you know, I might, cause I, I do really, really enjoy that game. Very worthwhile. Anyone that's listening, yeah. play that game, finish it. If you can, you can use save States. You can use rewind. Like if you play on the <laughs> Nintendo switch online version. Yeah. You can rewind it. If you die, just yeah. rewind. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't think any less of you if you do it because that game's super hard. But do, do, definitely, do, 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 do. yeah, that haunted <laughs> me for year for for many months <laughs> as a youth. It took me one year to beat that game, one calendar year. Yep, that's how hard it was, uh, including the sabbatical I took, the eight months sabbatical. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. that's a that's a sweet tale of victory, my friend. I like your story as well. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Definitely uh yeah, I wish uh if any of our listeners have a story like that, let us know through maybe our Twitter account. Oh god, mm-hmm. it hurts. Oh god, it hz. You can send us a private message and let us know. <laughs> and uh yeah, we'll definitely read it. But yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed listening uh, to our episode today. Uh, if you enjoyed our podcast and you're a first time listener, yeah, please subscribe and hit notifications so that when we make a new show, you'll get that notification and it'll be sitting on your lap, ready to ready to rock. Yeah, and uh, 
uh, if you want, it, it, uh, we are part of uh, Ruben Nation's radio network, which is a great network to be a part of. We have a, a, a we're part of a collection of great shows, a lot of great podcast uh, hosts. Uh, we have fantasy football. We have retro futurist themes. We have uh, Twin Peaks, horror, movies, you name it. If you're interested to maybe have a sampling or, you know, listen to the whole thing if you want in one day, uh, check out ruminationsradionetwork.com. There's a lot of good podcasts out there. Please take a listen. All right. So for James and I, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.